we set ourselves before you, Lord, for this afternoon's study. We ask for you to enliven our attention. Lord, give us the ability to focus, to, Lord, uh, relate to what we're looking at in Psalm 10. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Lord, give us receptive hearts. Lord, as we ponder David's complaint before you and as we learn ourselves, Lord, to lament wickedness and to seek you, Lord, for the answers and to put our trust in you and not men and institutions. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. All right, I'm going to read Psalm 10 and then we'll pick back up and start opening up its parts, beginning at verse 1. Lord, why do you stand so far away? And why do you hide in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked relentlessly pursue the afflicted. Let them be caught in the schemes they have devised. For the wicked one boasts about his own cravings. The one who is greedy curses and despises the Lord. In all his scheming, the wicked arrogantly thinks there is no accountability since God does not exist. His ways are always secure. Your lofty judgments are beyond his sight. He scoffs at all his adversaries. He says to himself, I will never be moved from generation to generation without calamity. Cursing, deceit, and violence fill his mouth. Trouble and malice are under his tongue. He waits in ambush near the villages. He Kills the innocent in secret places. His eyes are on the lookout for the helpless. He lurks in secret like a lion in a thicket. He lurks in order to seize the afflicted. He seizes the afflicted and drags them into his net. He crouches and bends down. The helpless fall because of his strength. He says to himself, God has forgotten. He hides his face and will never see. Rise up, O Lord. Lift your hand, do not forget the afflicted. Why has the wicked despised God? He says to himself, you will not demand an account, but you yourself have seen trouble and grief observing it in order to take the matter into your hands. The helpless entrust himself to you. You are a helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evil person. Call his wickedness into account until nothing remains of it. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You have strengthened their hearts. You will strengthen their hearts. You will listen carefully, doing justice for the fatherless and the oppressed so that men of the earth may terrify them no more. Well, beloved, as we'd already talked about, Psalm 10, like several of David's psalms, is a complaint. Now, it's not simply just a private complaint of David. It was written to be sung. It was written to be prayed. Now, I want you to think about singing the psalm. The intensity of the song. What a song is. It is, and what a song it would be for the people of God to take Psalm 10 seriously and begin to sing it and pray um, it in their prayers. It is a complaint. I know last week I focused on a, I focused on it in a very personal way, giving us all an opportunity to consider the heart of the psalmist when we too think God is far away from us. But this afternoon, I want to look at it from another perspective. Of course, addressing what David says in verse 1. Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide in times of trouble? Meaning, why do you hide your face? Why are you covering your eyes when your people suffer so much. And it is, David is a king. He is someone in power. 
He's not a weakling like we are. We don't hold any civil authority. We are certainly not a king over a land or people. We don't have thousands of people at our command, do we? But he did. And yet David is in such distress over what he is witnessing, he pins this psalm under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is why we know the psalm is accurate. I mean, the Holy Spirit is moving upon him to write this psalm. It's not simply a fictitious song to be played in a tavern or at a club or at some community event. This was to be sung and prayed in the presence of God's people, in the presence of God, before his face, if you will. You had to let that sink in a little bit. What is it that would cause a king to sit back and ponder where God is? Well, it seems reasonable to me as we look at the psalm that it's the events that David witnesses. It's not just simply a feeling, even though sometimes we do feel far away from God. Now, that doesn't mean God is far away. You can feel that God is at a distance, but remember, God is everywhere. And God never ceases to be everywhere. But what is it that we experience or we feel that is at a distance? Sometimes it's just when we lack delight in God's word, God will fill out a distance. When we lack delight in prayer, God will fill out a distance. How is God close to you? Is he not close to you in his word? Is he not close to you in prayer? Does he not listen? Is he not ready to hear you? I mean, these are the promises of God. That God is always ready to listen and receive the prayers of his children. Those who call upon him in faith, those who call upon him in sincere love. I mean, we're not talking about sinless perfection because that doesn't, that's none of us. But we are talking about people that sincerely do love the Lord and want to walk with him and want to serve him and want to be faithful and loyal and, and, and understand they can only do any of these by his grace. Amen. But when God feels distant, we have to look at the things that God reveals himself in. When worship becomes very ceremonial, probably a better word to use, but when we just do it in habit rather than in fervor of passion for God, passion for God's ways, passion for the word of God, passion to learn more about God. When we don't delight even in the blessings in favor of our brothers and sisters, they're good. Isn't that the second table of the law? The first table being to love God. We've talked about that. The second table being to love our neighbor as ourselves. When we don't delight in the genuine favor that God is pouring out upon our brothers and sisters and truly and genuinely celebrating that good in their lives, if we don't take delight in those things, brothers and sisters, I'm afraid God is going to be, God is going to feel far away from you. And we can even add to this, I mean, there are several ways to approach it, but we could add to this, I mean, I think obedience. When 
our obedience, that is, when a, if a, when a Christian doesn't fully understand the role of faith and obedience, and they feel that this obedience is more under the hand of a very judging uh, God than a God of grace, then there's going to be a lack of delight. There's going to be a lack of joy because we're, we weren't created to live under that kind of tyranny. Remember, we were created to live under the favor and blessing of God. We were created in his image to enjoy him and to uh, glorify him all the time. And when these things are no longer important, if we're no longer passionate about these things, if we no longer, you know, um, desire even for our brothers and sisters to be blessed of the Lord, I mean, we, we, God is going to be, he is going to very, seem very far off. And But David sees this from a different perspective. David is coming from this, and, and, he's, and in verse 1 where he talks about, and Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why, why are you hiding yourself? Why do you hide your face in times of trouble? Don't you see the afflicted being oppressed? Aren't you aware of of the strong and mighty taking advantage of the wicked. I mean, taking advantage of the righteous, the pious. Are you not aware of these things? He's looking at it on a national level. I mean, something I think we have become accustomed to over the last few years. We, have, we really have honed our senses to be more active in what's going on around us, haven't we, since COVID, since the shutdown. Some of us who were never really interested in national news became very interested when the Lord used or when the Lord allowed the government to act in such a way that we were locked in our homes for, so, so to speak. Many people unable to make a living many renters unable to collect rent and even some renters have still not collected rent you have to let that sink in been without rent for years now and we become very aware and shockingly aware haven't we over the what we consider to be tyranny oppression and we have certainly scratched our heads and called out to God to say what's going on what is the role of the church what should we do and this psalm helps answer that question to a degree we can certainly sing about well not just the oppression of the weak but the psalm doesn't end on that negative note verses 16, 17, and 18, David ends the psalm on a high note that the Lord is king forever and ever, that the nations will perish before his land, meaning that men are not going to stay this course, that these men who have set themselves up in power are not going to survive the judgment of God. And we have to take note of that and then certainly it should lift our spirits we should be lifted at the end of the psalm even though the psalm takes us low and then brings us back up high in song in melody i don't know jaron what this would be like if you wrote a piano tune to it i don't know what this would sound like but i would think it'd be like real bomb bomb uh, you know i just about did the death star kind of thing low you know, just just eerie, and then ending in a high pitch is what this psalm, to me, would kind of seem like. So the psalm, David calls, and but how does God chasten a wicked nation? 
Now let's ask that question. How does God chasten the wicked? How does he chasten a nation that has become corrupt in its parts, the things that, when I say parts, in the things that make up a nation, the judicial system, the court system, in its education, in these basic institutions that help make a nation a place to live and a, a, a suitable environment to raise a family, to perform labors to make a living, to live at peace with your neighbor, right? To have a reasonable expectation of a hope in the future. Those are all good things, aren't they? And we naturally want those things. Those things are natural to us. Well, the psalm helps us, I think, with this. David is certainly calling God to take notice of the wicked. But again, how does this nation, particularly a covenant nation, particularly a nation that had better theology, that had, I mean, they weren't like uh, the, the world around them. I mean, they didn't worship false gods. I mean, they had the true and living God as their God. How do they get this way? Well, there's only one way to get this low, and that is what I talked about earlier, the neglect, losing the fervor, losing the passion, um, setting your uh, desires and affections upon the world and not God. Remember, the world and God are at odds. The spirit of God is at war with the spirit of the age. And that's why John said you cannot love God and love the world. That to love the world is hatred toward God. And beloved, when we, even as professing Christians, because I, I, I do think even though this psalm addresses what we would call practical atheism, not full-fledged academic philosophical atheism that says there's positively no God. Now, that's not exactly where this, this, that's not exactly what this is. This is practical atheism. These are people that know better. These are people that should know better. These, the, this atheism comes out of neglecting, forgetting, refusing to remember, and going after other things, putting other things in the place of God, but yet while going to church, while singing the hymns, singing, you know what? What did David and them do every Sabbath day? They sang the Psalms. What did the prophets do every Sabbath day? They opened up the word of God. But we don't, if we don't have a heart for the things of God, we don't hear with those spiritual ears. This is the symptom of that. This is what happens to a nation that's been doing this for generations. And we, our nation is very much similar. We, didn't, we just didn't come, beloved, to a place overnight where the courts are tyrannizing good people. We didn't get there overnight. This has been going on. And I, I, and I say this, I mean, look, if you follow along with what David is saying in verse two, he says, in arrogance, the wicked relentlessly pursue the afflicted. Uh, let them be caught in the schemes they have devised. I mean, it, verse two indicates to us that, that this 
this waywardness, this backsliding condition, or this, these, this stage of apostasy has broken out in open arrogance against God. Now, that doesn't happen overnight. That takes generations. That takes decades. That takes years of neglect in raising up children that forget God. So that they say, well, my mom and dad, they, you know, they didn't really go to church that much. I mean, you know, we had a, I mean, I, I, I saw my parents open the Bible at church and I saw it closed at home. We never addressed it. We never opened it. We never read from it. We never memorized it. We never prayed. And yet they called upon God's blessings and they talked about God's blessings at birthday parties and at Christmas time and at Easter functions and, and they just they had no problem talking about God bless us while they never lived lives of what blessing God. And then that generation spurned another generation, spawned another generation that did what? What's God gonna do? You see, the open flagrant arrogance comes generationally when we look and say, well, God didn't judge them. And he's certainly not going to judge me. What's he done? God's not punished. We've watched people, I'm, I'm speaking in, in relationship to this nation. We've watched people make billions of dollars off the Weak. Where is God? He's not going to do anything. I mean, we literally in our day and time have people richer than nations. Richer than some nations now. So verse 2 tells us that it's this arrogant open defilement that, that not that there's no God they're not saying that what they're saying is there's no God because he doesn't punish the injustice God has no problem if I take my business prowess and afflict someone God has no problem if I'm a judge and I take somebody's land eminent domain and bankrupt their gen, you know, bankrupt generations God has no what does he do? Look at verse three. Now, David calls in verse two that they be caught in the schemes they have devised, meaning they, I do, there's these systems in place that ought to enhance life, but now it's being used because you have wicked people in places of power that are now afflicting the weak. You, that, we're the weak class. This is not, when you see the, when you see the word weak or humble or poor in the text, he's not talking about the homeless person. He's talking about the class in general people that are not in power. In verse 3, for the wicked one boasts about his own cravings. And the one who is greedy curses and despises God. They're open about it. I, I mean... Look at our own day. How flagrant men and women, representatives, senators, governors, presidents, whatever, despise the Lord and justice and truth and human life. I won't ever forget it's left a lasting impression upon me. I won't ever forget watching those Congress people celebrate the passing of the state bill that abortion could be happen up until birth. Celebrating it. Patting each other on the back. Hugging each other. These women crying tears of joy because they've been oppressed and not be able to murder their children up until birth. And you sit back and you're like, Lord, where are you in this? These are people in power. 
They boast about their craving for blood. They boast about their craving to be able to murder. That, and that's not in the text. I'm adding that into the text. I'm adding that into the, to the attitude of the wicked because it fits. Notice in verse 4, talking about the wicked, it said, and all is scheming the wicked arrogantly thinks. Now listen, the psalmist is giving us a glimpse inside their hearts, their motives and their intentions. He says, the wicked arrogantly thinks there is no accountability since God does not exist, meaning since God is not in this place, His ways are always secure. His lofty judgments are beyond his sight. He scoffs at all his adversaries. I mean, anybody that would try to correct the wicked, what are they? They're punished. In our day and time, you're thrown in jail to await trial that may come or never come. Who knows? We need to wake up to the fact that we are living in very dark and corrupt times. And no mistake about it, I, it, this is not a Republican-Democrat thing. This is, this is the world against Christians. This is unrighteousness against righteousness. That's what this is. Uh, you're, and it's more and more open. It's more and more in your face. It's more and more talking about, it, it's more and more talking about, and I've seen this probably now in at least a half a dozen different talk shows, interviews, where now they want to talk about the religion, the Christianity of the oppressor. Who do you think that is? That's Western Christianity that's been, that has shaped the world that we live in, that has refine and cultivate. What, what did Christianity do to the Celts and the Druids? What did it do to them? It took savages and made people out of them. When I say people, humans. Took beasts, right? The offering up of child sacrifices and stuff like this, the witchcraft that they practiced. It took a people and cultivated them and groomed them and fashioned them into what we would call Humans, what, did it, what has it done on every continent, whether it be Africa, whether it be South America, North America, Europe, wherever, wherever Christianity has gone, what has it done to the people? It's cultivated and civilized them. Now, that's a fact. That's not a myth. That's, a justify, that's an empirical fact. And what we're finding that as we have, as they, as them have pushed this Christianity away, the, the Western worldview, this, that's just another, that's a, that's a sterile way of saying Christianity. And we've pushed this away. What have we adopted? We've adopted bloodthirstiness again. See, not only are we willing to abort babies up until birth, but you know what? You're not feeling well. Have you thought about assisted suicide? We can help you with that. That's not a joke. We can help you in your life. There's no sense in you suffering. Or maybe it's not even medical. It could be depression. Life's just not going your way. You're not a happy camper. You, you've just decided that, you know, nothing goes your way and you're, you're not enjoying life right now. We can help you end it all in a very sterile manner. We can take your life. See, because what? What does is, what is Proverbs 8 say? Those who hate me, that's Jesus, he's wisdom personified. Those who hate me love death. Have you noticed the violence in Psalm 10? Have you noticed the violence in Psalm 10? Notice, he, uh, notice their arrogant, their flagrant openness about their apostasy and about their rebellion against God. He thinks his ways are fine. He scoffs at his adversaries because they're certainly not in a power to do anything. Verse 6, he says to himself, I will never be moved from generation to generation without calamity. Cursing, deceit, and violence fill his mouth. Trouble and malice are under his tongue. Notice, I mean, just let's stop at verse 7. Cursing, deceit, violence 
fill his mouth. (laughs) This is prophetic, isn't it? See, it's prophetic in one sense because this is what happens to civilized lands and peoples that once knew God reject him. This is what apostasy looks like. This is how you know your nation is apostatizing from God. The language, the, 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 the cursing, the crudeness. I, I mean, listen, if, can anybody have a conversation without four-letter words being thrown around everywhere? And not just the four-letter word, but even God's name in vain. Can we do that? Deceit. I I mean, when I see verse 7, I just think about, you know, Georgia has just been put in the spotlight with this whole Fannie Willis and all of this stuff. This An embarrassment. The corruption of this state is unbelievable. Unbelievable. The only, uh, any prosperity the state of Georgia is enjoying, it's got to be because of the saints praying Psalm 10. I I mean, it's got to be like, I mean, the Lord is like, I'm long-suffering and patient, and I'm going to see that my people um, are, are going to enjoy a modicum of their hard work and labor and not just be taxed to death, not just be robbed of the money that we work very hard for and all of these things. But it's just an, an embarrassment of the corruption, the cursing, the deceit, the lies that are told, perjuring themselves. Let me, let, brothers and sisters, listen to me. Notice how verse 7, he talks about cursing, deceit, and violence fill his mouth. Look at the other part of the verse. Trouble, malice, or understanding. You know what you do when you go into a court? You're supposed to take an oath to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help you, God. Do you know why in the early days of our nation they wouldn't let atheists testify in court he can't take the oath what's he going to swear to how do you know he's telling the truth you see what made this court system great was not only the laws but the 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 system in place that we stand as a god-fearing people that say i know that there's even a higher court than this one And I'm going to tell the truth because it's not so much that I fear this court, even though I may have very good reasons to fear this court. It's the next court that I fear the most. Where is that today? Where is that today? You know, I wondered when I was watching some of the trial take place and as the camera would, you know, pan the room and whatnot. I wonder how many of those people are in church today? How many of those people will be in church on Sunday? Praising the Lord. Singing God's praises. Oh, Lord, your blessings. I thought this is exactly Psalm 10. Because where's the Lord? He's not going to judge anything. Hey, the wicked get away with it. And the wicked are so flagrant. They're so arrogant. They're so boastful. They're so open in their hostility to God. Now, listen. It's not that they're open to hostility in God's face. How are you openly hostile to God? You oppose righteousness. You oppose truth. You want to fight God? Oppose righteousness. Oppose truth. Afflict those that are telling who are correcting you. And when you do that, what are you doing? You are opposing God. And you know what, like verse 7 says, um, or like verse, what is it, verse uh, 6, let me find it, oh, verse 5, scoffing at the adversaries, if you tried to correct them, you know what they'd do, they'd laugh at you. 
Well, you can say, you know, when you oppose truth, you're opposing God Almighty. <laughs> Get out of here, you fundamentalist. You mean you believe the Bible? My God's the God of love. He gets us. You see what's happening to our nation, the symptoms that are being exposed. You know what these symptoms are telling us? We're atheists. We're atheists. We are an atheistic nation, practical and proper. And we, we've... <laughs> And this is what we need to pray. This, is, this psalm is to aid us as we consider what to do about the, 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 the demise of a godly nation. Never perfect, but godly. Notice how they use their powers to oppress others. Verse 8 and following, he waits in ambush near the villages. He kills the innocent in secret places. His eyes are on the lookout for the helpless. I mean, he's obviously using the imagery of, of the lion there in verse 9. He says he lurks in secret like a lion in a thicket. He lurks in order to seize the afflicted. He seizes the afflicted and drags him into his net. He crouches and bends down and the helpless fall because of his strength. And he says to himself, God has forgotten. He hides his face and will never see what I'm doing. That's what we are experiencing today. These people in places of power, these senators, this Georgia Congress and Senate and the governor and all of these states and, and the, on a state and a federal level say, ah, let business continue as usual. We can vote our way out of this. Brothers and sisters, you know what God is showing us? You ain't voting your way out of this. You can not vote your way out of this level of corruption and hatred toward God. And until God's people humble themselves and call upon his name and repent of their sins and seek his face, there will be no restoration of this nation, nor should there be. And God has taken churches like ours and in some degree minimized our influence, even though nationally or internationally, rather, there's all this interest in the things we say. America is no longer the light on the shining hill. America has become the example of apostasy and what it looks like. We can no longer take our representatives and trust them when they say, I'm a Christian. And I believe in God. That means nothing to me anymore. Because I don't think it means much anything to them. This is not depression, beloved, because here's what I believe. I believe God is using this for the good of the church. I believe God has stood back in one sense and allowed the people to go their own way well, for their own destruction. Because that's what happens to a nation like this. A nation that is committed to atheism, a nation that's committed to such violence, a nation that is committed to such oppression of the weak instead of protecting the fatherless, instead of protecting and honoring the widow, instead of protecting laws and institutions that, well, aid others and protect others and are a shining example of God's fairness and justice in this land in order to aid and promote human happiness and prosperity, yes, it's time for us to learn how to long for the face of God. Do you long for it? Do you really want God to pull back his hands and go, here I am? Do you really want that? Do you know what that means? Does it mean, first of all, personal reformation? We don't want to be hypocrites, do we? 
Verse 12 and following is the second part of the psalm. Verse 12 says, rise up, Lord God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the afflicted. That's where we begin. Why has the wicked despised God? He, is, he says to himself, you will not demand an account. But you yourself seeing trouble and grief, observing it in order to take matter into your own hands. And the helpless entrust himself to you. You are a helper to the fatherless. Yes, that's exactly right, beloved. Listen to me. God is taking account of everything that's happening. God is taking note of every injustice. He has not forgotten. He doesn't forget. He hasn't left and gone out on vacation while the nations perish. No, he's watching. He's making notes, if you will, speaking in anthropomorphic terms. He is making a list of who does what and what is done. But notice, notice, they will give an account. Verse 14 says, yes, he does see the grief and the trouble. He does observe it so that when he takes matters into his own hands, he acts justly. And God will act justly. Even, look, he will give the wicked their reward, their just reward. Verse 15 is something we need to learn to pray, and I think we need to learn to pray it privately and publicly, break the arm of the wicked and evil person. What does that mean, break, the, break his arm? Well, it's not talking about literally. He's talking about break his power, break his influence, break his reach. Call his wickedness into account until nothing remains of it. Now, that's interesting because how, do, you know, how would the Lord call his injustice into account, his wickedness into account? Certainly by raising up the righteous and the righteous authorities doing the same thing, right? What are righteous judges? But they are the Lord's servants. They are, the, they are what the scriptures, remember what we learned in Psalm 2. They are God's among the people. Why? Because they rule the law of God in their midst. And we must, beloved, call upon those who are willing to listen, even though it seems so few today, to rise up and do their job. We should never be afraid to call our civil leaders to action to do your job. Keep your oath of office and begin to punish. You know, I, I, I'm, I guess I'm part of the, the uh, crowd is like, you know, until I see people in handcuffs, until I see people in jail, I just don't believe anything's gonna happen. But I do think, I do think Because of my faith and trust in God, because of the promises that God holds out for the righteous, that the Lord will raise up these people. He will raise up caregivers. He will raise up in his providence. Remember, providence deals with the past and the future. God will raise up those who will come to your aid. He will raise up people in his good timing to come and relieve the oppressed and help the afflicted and be a father to the fatherless and a husband to the widow. Now, brothers and sisters, I don't think it'll be without the church. Obviously, it'll contain the church. It'll involve the church. It'll involve churches like this one. I think the soul of America, small churches, is what I think. I think the real Holiness, the real righteousness of the soul that this nation once was is housed in small churches like this one all over, the, all over the nation. And in some sense, God has protected us, hasn't he? He has. The bigger the church, the more compromise.
So what can we pray? Well, I think it'd be interesting after this psalm this afternoon for us to pray together. Verse 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. Notice, the nations will perish from his hand. Are the nations eternal? No, God is. And it's not just God. Who's the king eternal? Who would that be? But the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. He's king eternal. He's the one that God has set on his most holy hill. He's the one that has been given all power and authority in heaven and earth and seated at God's right hand. He is the one that sent out his disciples to call the nations to repentance. And that's what we should be doing even in our state governments. And we've done that, have we not, in the past? Calling our officials to repent of their sins, particularly not abolishing abortion, but somehow somehow thinking it's pious to hang on to a remnant of it as if that's loving and caring. Well, it's not to the child. Nothing loving and caring about abortion to the child. So he says, look for all, recognize that God is king eternal. That is Jesus. Jesus is the Lord. He is Jehovah. He is God and man. In verse 17, Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble and you will strengthen their hearts and you will listen carefully. The Lord wants you to pray. He's ready to hear your voice. He cares for his people and he will strengthen his people. He will strengthen their what? Their hearts. In verse 18, it's not just a matter, though, of declaring these things. Remember, it's not just a simple matter of theology or believing the right things, even the right things about God. There has to be action always tied to our doctrine. Verse 18, doing justice for the fatherless and the oppressed so that men of the earth may terrify them no more. We have to come to the aid of those who are in need. We have to call one another to account. I think the church is being tried and will continue to be tried. We have a lot of sins to get rid of. You know, it's a good thing. It's a good place to be. You say, why is that, Pastor? You seem a little morbid. <laughs> uh, no, because God chastens those whom he loves. And there is not a son, Hebrews 12 says, that God does not chasten. If God loves the church, and he does, he will chasten the church. Our sins have been far too long left unattended. And we have birthed over decades, if not last 150 years, a nation of practical atheism. Now, some of it has come in the whole, I mean, look, the church has spawned all kinds of error in culture and society. We are guilty of many things as a people. I'm not talking about the Chalcedon Presbyterian Church in particular. It's about the church of God in this land and we have to give an account for it. Brothers and sisters, we need to learn something even about our private lives, our personal lives. Things come due in season. I think it's Psalm 50. And God is rebuking the nation of Israel and he says, you made a grave mistake. You thought I was like you. Meaning, you look, you wink at each other's sins. Y'all don't care. I'm, you don't care. But you thought I was like you. You thought I was going to keep winking at your sins. But there comes a season when it comes due. 
And this is where we are today. It's come due. And we've got to pay the price. And those liberties that we are losing, I want you to think about something. Before we start crying, and I'm, listen, I'm going to cry the loudest. You know, how I've, you know how political I can get. But God's been robbed of his glory for how long now? How long has God been robbed of his glory? How long have we robbed as a, as a nation God's glory? I, I, when's the last time this nation in its civil servants have stood up and said, all praise be to God Almighty for the blessings that he has bestowed upon this land. It's been a century or better. And that was not uncommon in the early days. It was very common for civil magistrates, for judges, for governors to stand up and say, praise be to God Almighty for the blessings he has bestowed upon this land in her protection after a storm or something. That's scoffed at today. You know that, I don't know if you are aware of the, when they opened up Congress over, what was it, last week, last week and a half, you know, they had a, the pastor from um, uh, Chapel, Grace Chapel, who was it, come and pray, did a great job. Well, they're all up in my arms about the prayer because he called them to repentance in that prayer. And that's our tradition, to open Congress, open the season of law by calling upon God Almighty, his blessing, his presence, his power, his grace, so that these lawmakers would act in, in reliance upon his revelation of truth for the good of the people. And boy, are they mad at him. Because he called them all to repent and to put their trust in Jesus Christ, God's only son. It was a great sermon prayer. I amened all of it. And it's no, listen, is it a shocker that he's under, you know, criticism? No. I bet he doesn't care. Because you don't pray that prayer and care what the world thinks. Amen? And we ought to thank God for him and that prayer he offered up. Well, brother, Psalm, brothers and sisters, Psalm 10 is a complaint, but it's not a complaint that, it, it doesn't end in the complaint. It ends in the prophetic understanding that men don't outlast God that God's way will be done, that God's will will be carried out, that God's truth, his majesty, his righteousness, it will prevail. But before we take up the mantle of our tears, we have to examine ourselves. We need to be quick. We need to look. David is calling, God, where are you? And we can do that too. But we don't do it without examining ourselves and recognizing. We do live in this culture. And we, have we done what we should do? I don't know. You have to answer that. But I do think God is, he's sifting us. He's trying us. And the result should be a purified faith. A stronger fortitude, passion, and love for the Lord and all of his institutions and all of his mercies and all of his graces. Beloved, let's rekindle that. Because when we do, we're not guilty of practical atheism. That's how you love the Lord. Let's pray. If any of you men want to pray, this is 
feel free to do so after me. If not, we'll end it. And Father, we want to pray this psalm. We want this psalm to be the reflection of our heart. We know, O Lord, that yes, you are standing at a distance from us because you are allowing us to reap the whirlwind, to reap, Lord, what has been sown in this nation, which has been unrighteousness, violence, and malice, hatred, affliction. Lord, where when the weak are overtaken, they, the strong are, are applauded. They're seen as brave and cunning and cutting edge and uh, examples, Lord, for the, for, for the world. And Lord, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's de- it depresses us to watch the degree and level of darkness overtake this land. But yet, Lord, we get it. We know it. We know that that you are turning the wicked over to their ways and you're turning this nation over to itself, Lord, and it will consume itself. The wicked will destroy themselves. And Lord, we pray for your perseverance. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would lift up your arm, that you would wrap it around your church and that you would buffer and keep at bay, Lord, those who can overpower us and overtake us. Lord, that you would come to the help and to aid, Lord, to those who need you the most. Lord, break their arms. Take away their influence. Lord, we think about these, the wicked people in power. Lord, we put them there. The representatives have always been a reflection of the people. Lord, even though there is question about whether or not we have a true election. Wicked people act wickedly. They steal elections. They connive. They are, as verse 7 says, they are deceitful. And they cause trouble, Lord, every time they open their mouth. So, Lord, you have allowed us to see things, Lord, we, we never believed true. We never could have grasped it, Lord, without... Lord, the modern technology, the internet, and all of these various things that we have now in front of us, and Lord, what we see, we, we, we don't like. But yet, Lord, we're not in total despair because we know that you alone are king eternal. We know that you outlast this nation. We know that the wicked will perish from the land because, Lord, they, are, <laughs> they will reap what they sow. You will give them the due uh, justice of their labors. And Lord, that is punishment, condemnation, violence, Lord. They sow violence, they reap violence. And you will purify the land. Why? Because, Father, you have given the land to the meek, to the humble, to your church. It is to them, Lord, that the nations, Lord, you've called Abraham to be an heir of the world, not just Palestine, not just Israel, the world. And so, Lord, you are purging this world. You are, uh, Lord, removing the dross of this world, even though men sit in places of power and deceive themselves, thinking that they are in control. Lord, you are the one in control. The whole idea of the new world order, Lord, we laugh at because that world order came into play, Lord, when you took your seat at the right hand of the Father. That's the world order that is in charge. Under Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So, Lord, I pray that not only as you would purge and and do away with the wickedness and the, the sinfulness, O oh Lord, the, the great sins of these people in these high places of power, Lord, but that you would put into their righteous people, people who would act justly, people who would recognize, Lord, that you are the true God and true king of the earth. And Lord, that, that you will once again be hallowed and reverenced in this place, in these lands, Raise up magistrates 
judges, governors, representatives, and senators that are not afraid, O oh Lord, to speak the truth and, to, and to, to recognize the king of kings. Lord, I pray and I ask these in the blessed name of Christ our King and Lord.